welcome to the Life Cycle Lady podcast, the place to be to talk about all that we wonder, whisper, and wish we knew about our bodies, hormones, and life cycle changes. In this space, I offer vulnerability, wisdom, connection, and helpful transformational mind, body, spirit tools. Please join me as I take the stigma out, stop the whisper, and speak out loud about life cycle phases from puberty to menopause. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 10. In this episode uh, of the Life Cycle Lady podcast, I'm going to talk about a, a topic that I don't even know if there's a whole lot of people even whispering about this topic. I just think it's a topic that is pretty unknown. Um, and so I thought that I would, or maybe even misunderstood, or you know the buzzword, but you won't really know the why and the real, like, meat of it. So I'm here to give you the meat. So <clears throat> I'm actually going to talk today about um, endocrine disruptors and how they harm our bodies in so, so many more ways than you may ever realize. So I've called this... Um, episode, It's a Hard Time for Ovaries, and I actually got that from a really amazing woman named Elisa Beatty. She wrote The Woman Code, and she runs Flow Living Programs, which are amazing programs for women who are struggling with all sorts of different ovarian issues, from just um, from your period to polycystic ovarian syndrome to endometriosis. She's a, an amazing resource. Um, and an inspiration for me. So when I heard her say once it's a hard time for ovaries, I had to have a chuckle, but I thought, man, you really can't explain it any better than that. It is an incredibly hard time for ovaries nowadays. It's most of the health diseases that women get are found in the endocrine and with the, have to do with the ovaries. Um, it is a source of just constant barrage of um, chemicals and disruption to this area of our bodies, both from a chemical standpoint, which is what I'm going to talk about today, and also just the way we live our lives, which is what a lot of my podcasts are about, um, just the over go, go, go of our lives. So today I'm going to focus more on actually chemicals and how they're harming our bodies. Um, so I'm going to try and keep this down to super simple terms I don't want to give anybody like uh, the shakes from being back in science class and you're sitting, probably you're sitting here listening to me while you're in the car or something and I don't want you to, you know, fall asleep or get really bored, but I do think it's incredibly important. So I'm going to try and keep this as simple as I possibly can. So let's start by talking about the endocrine system. Like what the heck is your endocrine system? I think pretty much if I were to say the muscular system, like people know what that is, or the nervous system, but I think a lot of people like the endocrine system, I don't remember covering that one. So really simply, the endocrine system is a network of glands and organs that make, that store, and that give out or secrete or move around um, or network hormones. The endocrine system works with all of the other systems in your body to develop your body, both like from a sexual standpoint, um, your sexual health organs, going through puberty, obviously, your cycle is incredibly in 
completely dependent on the endocrine system, but also the function of many, many of the hormones in your body. It is responsible for almost every single cell, every single organ, and almost every single function in your body. So like literally as simple as, you know, whether or not you're constipated, if you get constipated often, like that is definitely a sign and of health of your endocrine system. And so when I work with people, especially with with um, menstrual health issues, one they're very surprised by the things I ask them, like, are you sleeping well? Do you have regular bowel movements? They're like, how does this have anything to do with my period and whether my period is going well? It has everything to do with it. Your endocrine system just really helps network. It is like the main networker of your whole body and is incredibly important. So when it's not working well or when it's out of balance, you might have major problems during puberty. You might have major problems getting pregnant. You might have major problems managing stress or with your blood sugar stabilization. Um, It has a huge role in polycystic ovarian syndrome. It has a huge role in diabetes. It has a huge role in so many things. And this is why it's so important to know about what it is. Um, So it functions to make hormones that control your mood, that control your growth, that control your development, your metabolism, and reproduction. Um, Not only to control it, but control the making of the hormones and how they're released and where they send them to. And like everything in your body, there's a, a prioritization system, right? So when your body, say you're experiencing a heck of a lot of stress in life, which, you know, happens sometimes, um, your body will then prioritize making certain hormones over other hormones, right? And it will lead to kind of a deficiency in some of your hormones, right? So if you're in stress, maybe you had a stressful month, then probably that's going to be reflected in what your period looks like that month, what the cramping or the amount, um, Or if you have a stressful year, then that obviously is going to cause a much bigger breakdown than just a blip. So I also talk a lot about stress resilience and stay tuned because very soon I hope to have an episode dedicated all to stress resilience. So your endocrine system is made up of your hypothalamus, your pituitary, your penile gland, the thyroid, the parathyroid, the thalamus, your adrenals pancreas, ovaries, and of course, and then the testes. So I'm sure even as I'm saying this, you're like, oh, thyroid. Think about all the people you know in your life that suffer from thyroid issues. Oh, adrenals. Think about all the people you've known in your life, and maybe you, that have adrenal fatigue or adrenal issues. Think about all the people in your life that have some sort of ovarian issue, right? It's a, there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of people. It actually is now considered normal, which is very alarming to me. It's one of the reasons what prompted me to do this episode. So what is an endocrine disruptor? An endocrine disruptor um, or endocrine disrupting chemicals are simply substances or chemicals that are in our environment. They're in our air that we breathe. They're in the food that we eat. They're in consumer products like lotions and makeup and um, cleaning supplies and, you know, just like everything that we use all of the time, they are lurking there. And they interfere with our hormone 
biosynthesis. So what are hormones, like how they come in our body, how our body makes the hormones, how our body distributes the hormones. Um, so it completely interferes with that. It interferes with our metabolism. And it interferes with the homeostasis in our body. Or even the ability to maintain homeostasis, which means balance in our body, right? Our body is always striving for balance. And so it really, really interferes with the ability for our body to ever be able to do that. And obviously it also, endocrine disruptors, um, interfere with reproduction or the ability for us to reproduce. So basically, really, really, the skinny of it is that they're chemicals that don't belong in our bodies. And when they're in our bodies, they wreak havoc in lots of different ways inside of our bodies. <coughs> the thing about endocrine disruptors is that they're very hard to study. The science behind endocrine disruptors, first of all, there's not a whole, there's not always a ton of money going to studying them because, you know, that money would be taken away from the companies that use these, right? Um, so there's like interests, right? Special interests at heart. Um, also, they're, they have incredibly long lifespans and so it makes it really really hard for us to study the impacts and I'll talk more about that in a minute. So in the United States we release about a thousand new chemicals every year. Every single year around a thousand new chemicals. So just to give you some perspective about how we do it versus how other people do it, how other countries do it. So there are 3,000 chemicals that are banned in the European Union for makeup alone. 3,000 chemicals that are banned in the EU that are not allowed to be in the makeup that they sell there. And in the U.S., there's only 36 chemicals that are banned that go in our makeup. Right? So all the other ones they're allowed to put in our makeup. You think about your makeup going on every day, even just lipstick, which is like the one thing I actually use. I mean, think about how many times you put lipstick on because you're basically like licking it off your lips or getting it somewhere else, right? It's going in our pores, it's going in our mouth, it's going directly into our body and into our bloodstream. There's only 36 banned chemicals. Now that does not mean that there's only 36 chemicals that are harmful to us. There's only 36 that they've currently allotted to be banned. So kind of along those lines, there was a study, it's called the Hermosa study. It was on a 100 Latinas, um, young women. And for this study, they took out major phylates and other chemicals. Um, they took their makeup and said, okay, what if we just choose makeup that doesn't have these top three chemicals in them. They didn't go organic. They didn't go super expensive. They just said, what if we, this is just really simple study. What if we had you pee in a cup before we started the study, took what the cup says, um, the urine samples say about what hormone levels or what chemical levels you have in your body. And then let's just take the makeup up. Let's just change the makeup and we'll take out these big three. And so they did that. And they didn't, they just went to the store and just made sure it didn't say these three. And after just three days of using different makeup, the urine testing went down 25% for these big three chemicals. 
And then they found later that even like their menstrual cycle health was very different after a cycle. So your body can bounce back very, very quickly in terms of the like immediate toxic load that you're putting inside. And I'm gonna give you five great things at the very end for you to kind of look at in your life and see where you might wanna make some changes. So now that you know what an endocrine disruptor is, basically a chemical that you don't want in your body that acts like hormones in your body and just wreaks havoc inside there. Again, this is for boys and girls, male and female, and everybody who identifies as male and female, right? So what do they actually do to our bodies? So they're all trying to trick our bodies into thinking that these chemicals are actually hormones. And they do that in, ver in various ways. Some block the natural hormones that you have in your body. They block them from actually doing what they're supposed to do. So they're hormonal blockers or act as hormonal blockers. Other ones increase or decrease the natural hormone levels in your, bloody, in your blood. Basically, they're affecting how they're made. They can affect how they're broken down or they can affect how they're stored. And they can actually affect how sensitive our bodies are to our own natural hormones that are made. So if you get a whole lot of endocrine disruptors that are acting on the hormone estrogen, which is the main female hormone, um, if you get a lot of endocrine disruptors in your body acting like estrogen, how it tends to come in is like estrogen on steroids. So then you have an overproduction and it affects how sensitive your body then becomes to the hormone estrogen. So even when you take out those endocrine disruptors, your body is now a lot more sensitive to the estrogen that you naturally have flowing in your body. And so back to the homeostasis, your body wants homeostasis with certain hormones. So there is a balance between the two major, I mean, there's so many hormones, but the two major ones that we talk about are estrogen and progesterone. And there is a balance between those hormones, right? There's a balance for your cycle, if you're a cycling woman, or there's just a balance in your, in your body, even if you're not a cycling woman, of where those two hormones need to be for you to be optimally healthy, both emotionally and physically. And so if you're sensitized to that, then your body thinks that you have a lot, that your body is very sensitive to estrogen you're already creating, and therefore you kind of have something called estrogen dominance a lot easier than if you weren't exposed to these chemicals on a larger basis. I do have to say that the studies out there, it's very hard, again, to get these concrete, there are some concrete things that I'm going to tell you about. And then there's a whole lot of, we think this is what's happening, but we need like decades in order to study this. And I don't know about you, but I'm not super psyched about being a guinea pig for decades, for in like 50 years from now when everyone's like, oh, fuck, we're really messing, no wonder why. It's like going to become Handmaid's Tale, like no one's going to be able to have babies, right? I'm not willing to take that chance. I'm not willing to have those studies come through in decades from now. And so that's why I think it's important to know about your own body, to talk about this with others, and not to think, you know, not to have this cause you stress, just to know and then do differently. And I'm, again, going to talk about how we can do differently in a bit. So what does it do to our bodies and why should we care? So one in nine women have something called PCOS or polycystic ovarian syndrome. And there are a lot of studies out there about endocrine disruptors and polycystic ovarian syndrome. 
Um, it's still, polycystic ovarian syndrome is still something that is being constantly studied about where it comes from, how it comes on. It is definitely along the genetic lines. However, it doesn't mean you're going to have it because there's something called epigenetics, which means either those genes will get turned on or they will not get turned on. And those are often based on either lifestyle or foods that you might eat or things in your environment. So obviously endocrine disruptors can be one of them. Endocrine disruptors also incredibly affect your metabolism and polycystic ovarian syndrome is very, very, um, I mean, it's all about metabolism, right? It's all about blood sugar levels. Um, most, many women that have it also have some sort of diabetes or blood sugar stability issues. Again, if you have not heard of Elisa Vitti, um, she is a woman who had has polycystic ovarian syndrome and has studied it literally for decades and decades of her life um, and has an amazing uh, philosophy and way of looking at it and way of healing women. So I would direct you to her. That polycystic ovarian syndrome is not my specialty. Um, one in three women have fibroids, which are fibrous tissue that are found on your ovaries. One in 10 women experience endometriosis or diagnosed with endometriosis, which means an incredibly thick endometrial lining inside of your uterus. And sometimes it's so thick it grows into the wall and sometimes it even escapes and finds other places in your body and then begins to grow in those other places in your body, which is incredibly painful. 13 million women have some sort of thyroid, thyroid issue. One or Every 10 minutes, a hysterectomy is performed. Depression and anxiety in women in the perimenopausal age in particular that is medicated is the highest medicated group there is. All of these things seem now common, that they're common of this new age. All of these things are not normal. Having period issues is not normal. It's not normal for our body. Our body is here to be in a, a state of balance. And there's things that are causing that out of balance. That does not mean that I am blaming you. If you out there, I have experienced some of these things myself. It does not mean that we're blaming ourselves, that we're being in victim mode or anything like that. It means that we should get pissed off, <laughs> I think, and we should take charge of our own health, right? We should feel powerful in the knowledge that is out there, and then we should make the changes, or we should seek people out to help us make those changes. And we should get really mad about how we're being, um, in the name of money, really, how we're being subjected to being guinea pigs. So science or studies are unanimous, unanimous, that they that these endocrine disrupting hormones affect us 100% at certain crucial points of development in very major ways. How major those ways are, I think we're still we're still finding out the science behind them, but there's there are some that like they're just undeniable. So in utero, these hormones when we are exposed, they cross the placenta. And the baby is then circulating in these hormones or in these um, chemicals 
and throwing off the baby's hormones, throwing off the way the baby is growing, throwing off the way things are being arranged, right? How you see this is there's something called IUGR, interuterine growth retardation, or basically the baby grows either small or in proportional, like not proportionate. They have definitely proven that IUGR in many, many cases has to do with um, exposure of endocrine-disrupting chemicals. They've also seen that hypospadias, which is something that as a midwife, I thought, holy cow, why does every like 10th baby I see have some sort of hypospadias issue? Hypospadias in boys is where the the penis where the hole is basically not where it's supposed to be. It can be a little bit lower or to the side, mostly lower. It's not where it's supposed to be. And then that, that can cause issues, obviously. And it's it never used to be common, and now all of a sudden, I swear, every 10th baby I would see would have some form of hypospadias. They are definitely showing that hypospadias has something to do with endocrine disruptors. The second major place, and there, there's more, I'm just gonna go, we don't need this to be two hours long. <laughs> um, the second major time that they see that these endocrine disruptors are causing definite issues is during puberty. So it could be that those babies that were exposed in utero that then came out and what they, they have proven is IUGR, those babies that have that interuterine growth retardation or restriction, um, they are experiencing early or precocious puberty. So they're seeing that if you were exposed early on, then later on in your life, um, it can very well cause early puberty. It also can cause polycystic ovarian syndrome. It is one of the reasons for the vast majority, one in nine of women having this. It also is a major time in puberty if girls are exposed in high amounts and they're not even sure I have to say they're not sure what that looks like what these amounts look like for different people it will be different but they know that if you're exposed in utero or if you're exposed during puberty 100% definitely gonna cause issues right and so this does not mean, mean we all need to stress about something new for those of us that have daughters in puberty. It just means we need to be aware and do the best we possibly can at reducing their toxic load. And there's lots of ways we can. There's lots of ways we can't. Maybe we live next to a place that we don't know. Are, we're being exposed to toxic chemicals from something that was there that we had no idea that was there, right? Some super fun site or even less than that. Some chemical plant that was there decades ago that's closed down and you have no idea that it's still, maybe it leached in the water or maybe it's in the air still, right? There's some things that we don't know and we can only do our best. And so this is, this is not to scare you in any way, shape, or form. It's just to inform you and to help you do better of what you can do, to feel powerful in what you can do. So those are the two major time periods that we know is causing some sort of issues. We also know that it causes issues just at all the time periods. Just like I said that study earlier, like literally the simplest study, you pee in a cup, you test the hormone levels, you test the chemical levels, you stop using them and then they go down, right? So it is definitely affecting us and I know it is a cause of many of those sad ovaries out there. I know it is the cause of a lot of the women's health issues and a lot of 
you know, this estrogen dominance that you see everywhere or a lot of fibroids or a lot of just really cranky um, menstrual cycles. So the problem, like I said, is you might know the effects for decades because there's a long lag time between the exposure often and the manifestation of the clinical disorder. It can be decades. It can be years. And sometimes you might be experiencing things and you might not even think, oh yeah, I was exposed to blah, 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 you know, a decade ago. It might not be in your memory, right? It, you might not even have known. But it, but it is proven that it can take a really long time. It can take that lag time. Because some of the endocrine-disrupting chemicals were designed to have a long half-life. And if this is bringing you back to science class, a half-life is basically four chemicals. You want them to survive, some of them, right? Or some of them just naturally want to survive longer, just you know those that are naturally occurring in the environment. But the ones that we've created man has created has some of them have been designed out of a long half-life it makes it really good for the industrial use that's made the main reason it makes it really good and stable for the industrial use but it causes more damage to wildlife and humans because they basically don't break down they don't decay and many of them might not even be able to be metabolized inside our, our own bodies so sometimes even when they're broken down, they can become even more toxic than the parents. So like when the chemical is actually, the half-life is, is come and they're starting to be broken down, they can actually turn into something even more toxic than the parents. So 50 years ago, if we banned something and it had that half-life and now it's starting to be broken down, it actually can now become more toxic. So substances that were banned ages ago can still have really high levels in our environment. In terms of uh, endocrine-disrupting chemicals, probably BPA is the one that is like the most known because there was a, you know, we all kind of came up in arms for a while and it was just, the, the studies were just unmistakable. Um, it doesn't have a high half-life, but it was so widespread. It was in, it's in our toys, it's in all of the cups, it's in our, like it's everything. Um, there's still a lot of exposure to it because it's, it just was everywhere. So we're still getting a lot of exposure, even though a lot of places have now gone BPA-free, right? So not only does it affect us as individuals, but it also affects our children because some of the evidence is showing that it affects our our germline. So it doesn't mean that it's like mutating our DNA, but what it means is it's like m modifying how DNA is expressed. And one of that, one of the ways is through something called methylation. Um, and there, for those of you out there who might experience, um, maybe you have MTHFR, which is a very common one for women nowadays. It's basically how your body is able to process like B vitamins, so you need methylated B vitamins. So things like that, it's not, it's not changing our DNA, but we are passing it down, passing it down, passing it down, because it's modifying the way the DNA can be expressed. So it's very, very harmful. Um, so in specific, for those hormones that mis mimic estrogen, it 
most of the time it's like your body thinks it's estrogen on steroids, right? Estrogen, again, is one of the main female hormones and it's responsible for regulating like our uterine lining each cycle. It's responsible for developing our breasts and our bone mass and so many more things. So when the hormone disruptors enter our body and confuse our system, our body thinks we have an abundance of estrogen. And one of the things that can happen is estrogen dominance, which means that there's an excess of the hormone estrogen and it's causing an imbalance to occur. So an overabundance of estrogen has been linked to major increase in the likelihood of PMS symptoms. It's been um, linked to fibroids, infertility, weight gain, especially around that middle or the omentum, headaches, estrogen-dependent cancers like breast and uterine um, and ovarian, and, you know, just on the very basic level, just really a lot of, it can endometriosis, but basically a lot of PMS and a lot of cranky, horrible menstrual cycle issues um, that then many women go to the gynecologist about and they're put on the pill, right? Rather than looking at some of the underlying symptoms. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be put on the pill or that the pill is bad. I'm just saying that sometimes, and in my belief, many, many times, the pill is then maybe seeming like it solves your issues, and I this happened to me, but you don't know what that underlying issue is if you're not gonna fix it. So just putting you on an artificial cycle is not really regulating your hormones. And it's not really helping you, like if you did have endocrine disruptor issues, it's not gonna help you see that you had that issue or one of the many, many other issues it could actually be. So what the heck can we do about all of this? Right? Because I don't know about you, I think one of the worries that I have doing this podcast is that for me, it might have caused me overwhelm at certain points in my life. Like, oh, shit, another thing to think about. <laughs> right? Um, and so I want to try and take some of that anxiety away and let you know that our body is really, really great at trying to find the balance. And so if you listen to the symptoms and you find somebody who knows something about the symptoms or you find it out in yourself and you kind of have this communication established with your body and it may not happen overnight, right? Then you can, you can find that balance again, especially if it's just like your body's starting to knock on the door rather than scream at you, right? When it starts knocking, if you're listening it's much easier to find the root cause and start to create change and balance in your body rather than when it's screaming at you and all sorts of things are breaking down. There's a much longer um, time that you're going to have to use to heal, right? Um, I also I want you to know that your body is resilient and that I give this information just to help people feel aware of what's going on and, and hopefully empowered what's going on. Um, empowered for yourself and to make these small changes and also empowered for those of you who do have children. Um, you know, I personally have two children in puberty and it's on my mind that I do things in specific ways to help them and their hormones be as happy and healthy as possible, right? Doesn't mean we need to go buy a thousand things and spend tons of money. Um, I am a big, big, big fan of small implementation so as not to overwhelm and just give it all up and be like, oh, well, <laughs> not, 
have too many things, I am in survival mode in my life, or wherever you're at in your life, that this you don't want this to be a thing you focus on. Because I think it's incredibly important. So here's what I think. Choose one thing that I'm about to talk to you about and implement it in your life. And when that is like a thing in your life, then choose another thing that you're going to focus on. And just really smallly begin, slowly begin to like bring things in and cut things out of your life that you're aware of to try and reduce your toxic load. Okay, again, don't go out and spend hundreds of dollars and remake everything unless that works for you. But for most people, they're just going to feel overwhelmed and it's going to feel unsus unsustainable. Is that even a word? Not sustainable. I'm not sure if that's a word. Not sustainable. Let's stick with that. <laughs> Um, okay, so number one, clean up your cleaning supplies. I like this one first because we all clean, right? We all clean our dishes, we all clean our houses, our kids probably are helping us clean our houses, we even clean our bodies on a daily basis. And we have this obsession with smell. I hear it all the freaking time. If it doesn't smell clean, then it's not clean. I hear this all the time. I grew up with this in my own house. We had the pine saw and the the lemon this and the da da da. Most the vast majority of all those smell good things, oh, those are so 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 not good for you. Anything that says or anything that smells that's not like flavored with some essential oil, those are not good for you. Or like actual lemon. That's okay. But it doesn't have to smell clean to be clean, right? The vast majority of the products you're going to find on the market contain hormone disruptors. You can go to something called the Dirty Secrets Report to find a list of all the chemicals and alternatives that are out there, right? I also believe that there is websites. Oh, dear. What is the website called? Hmm. I know for beauty when it's called Skin Deep, there is definitely websites out there that tell you that you can literally go grocery shopping and you can scan an item and it can tell you if there's endocrine disruptors in that item. Um, I know Skin Deep is the one for the beauty products. Um, and I'm I'm probably going to put it in on the um, as a side note because I can't remember it right now. Um, and I do this in one take. So there you go. Uh, so the marketing world has caught up on for cleaning products and uses the world word natural and green that describes products that totally can contain chemicals that we do not want to put in our body. So go to that Dirty Secrets report and definitely it will tell you um, alternatives. And make sure, you know, when you're cleaning, like, okay, so what do I do to clean? I use, I do use essential oils and water. I use vinegar. I use, I think that's pretty much what I use. I use, um, for, you know, the yuck in the bathroom, I use lemon oil. I, on the bathtub, because I have four kids and they get real grimy and gross. I mean, I use it, I don't use any bleach. I don't use any sort of anything like that. I don't, even for 
washing my kids and my clothes, they've been very sensitive from the get-go for clothes. That was one of the first things I saw for my oldest, who's now 15. It would break him out in rashes. So I just use really basic, basic things. And again, check to see if it says green or natural. It does not always mean it's free of chemicals. It's just the way of kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better thing, it's a way of trickering you. There is tons of stuff out there. My cleaning supply budget is very, very minimal. I do not spend hundreds of dollars on these fancy green, green things. I make a lot of it myself and no, it does not take me a lot of time. It takes me maybe once every few months, I'll fill up some new bottles. Um, I use glass bottles. I think I bought them in bulk one time, maybe cost me 40 bucks and I've used them for years and years and years, right? Once you get into it, it's just, if you go to Pinterest, there's tons of people out there that have uh, how to make your own cleaning products that work. And so just try them out. Let that be the one thing that you use. It's huge, 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 huge. The second thing would be your beauty and personal care products. So those things may be super harming your hormones. Just like I said at the beginning of that study, the Hermosa study, um, we need to find products that work with our skin, of course, and that we enjoy it. And it can be really, really hard to change those. But you also, like, if you're doing it on a daily basis or you're putting your lotion on two, three times a day, it's like immediately going in toxic load. So... There is something called the never list for ingredients that you want to avoid. And then again, that um, skin deep is to find a list of products that are safe to use in the beauty industry. Just think of all the things you might use. You might use soap on a daily basis. You might use your face wash. You might use your face toner, your facial lotion, uh, your toothpaste, your deodorant, your just all these things that are directly going on your body several times a day, even like your, your um, floss that you're using several times a day, right? That's going right into your mucous membranes in your mouth. So just finding ways of, again, just slowly implementing these into your life and slowly taking out the ones that don't work. And sometimes, especially for toothpaste, people are like, oh, that's really hard because they don't, I don't like the taste. I just bought my kids new toothpaste and they don't want to use it because I don't like the taste of it. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Like, you just have to use it. I actually went and bought them new stuff, but at least I'm not filling your mouth full of chemicals, right? Um, and there is definitely ways of making your own toothpaste there's definitely ways of cutting corners and cutting the budget and not buying $8 toothpaste, right? Um, or $50 face cream, if that's not your thing. Or maybe you're buying hundreds of dollars of face cream anyways because you really like the wrinkle, the anti-aging stuff, but it's literally poisoning your body. There's stuff out there that is good. You're just going to have to look for it, and I would go to those the Neverlist and Skin Deep, Deep to find the products and to read all of the reviews about them, because they do, it is a big industry now that they're trying to make these things that are good for us to use. And don't, don't, don't just go for green, green or natural. It does not mean that they're actually good for you. Um, plastic. Plastic, plastic, plastic is everywhere. Everywhere. 
it is, I mean, I shop at Costco often and I think, I mean, our, we were eating spinach and the spinach was in a plastic container. And I was thinking, you know, for family six, how do I buy spinach? that's not in a plastic container. You know, so I am, I'm constantly trying to think, but I'm not trying to get overwhelmed. I'm just like, okay, well, what does that look like? Right. We used to have this huge garden. That was great. We don't right now. Um, so what does having spinach look like that isn't in this plastic container that's being leached into my food, right? Think about all the things you do. So for me, one of the best ways was like having a glass water bottle, having mason jars. Um, a mason, I use a mason jar for a glass water bottle. It's like a buck right? It wasn't a $30 glass water bottle. Those things are super, I've dropped it many times and it hasn't broken. And if it does break, it breaks. You know what I mean? I tie some yarn around it for the handle and I, there you go. When you reheat and store food, make sure you're using a plate or in a, on a glass container. Huge, huge importance. Huge, huge, huge. Do not be heating up your food in plastic containers. Huge. It's a huge way to reduce the chemicals that are leaching into your food that are feeding your body, right? So trying to do, buy less plastic, being aware of the plastic that's all around you all the time, and choosing glass more often. And I have to say that for the thrifty people out there like me, I go to the thrift stores and there's always plastic or uh, glass um, containers. There always is. There's always a thousand um, plastic containers as well, but there's always a ton of glass. So going to thrift stores to get your glass and just being more aware of how many things that you buy come in plastic and trying to stay away from those and trying to buy, you know, fresh things when, when you can, when you can. Know what you're cooking with. So we all love the nonstick pans, but most of them are literally cooking chemicals into your food. <laughs> so switching to stainless steel or cast iron is a really simple way, again, of avoiding the food uh, chemicals in your food. And finally, your food. I know that organic has been a trend for a while, and I know that it can be more expensive. Um, so, uh, you know, do the dirty dozen. There's a list that dirty dozen list is everywhere. Try and buy those few things organic. And I always, how I do this for my family is I skip on the filler foods. So like the super yummy cookies and cereal and chips. I don't buy those for my food, for my kids, although they don't love that about me. Um, but I save a lot of money not doing that. And then I buy healthier, like food that's not chemical filled. <laughs> Um, not that always cookies and chips are, it's just I save money on those so that I can buy the more expensive organic things sometimes, right? Um, also making sure when you're buying the foods that they're not in plastic. So trying to buy them out of the, like buy your veggies out of the veggies section rather than what I was just telling you about my Costco purchase of buying a ton of spinach in a plastic container. Um, and being forgiving of yourself, right? Like, I haven't figured that out. We eat a lot of spinach in our house. It is just so economical to do it the $3 Costco way. That is not something I'm able to give up right now. Like, both economically, mostly economically, right? If I want to keep eating spinach. 
Um, I think a vitamin cod where I shop, like a, like a little thing of spinach would also be three bucks, whereas the, the tub will last us all week. So just, you hear what I'm saying, like don't go crazy about it, don't, you don't need to buy an air filter for your house and this and that, unless you can, and if you can, go for it. Like you can do an air filter, you can buy like the water from, you know, like Eldorado or Deep Rock or whatever. But just really trying to be more aware of what you're putting on and how you're exposing yourself. Even like maybe researching where you live, was there even... Uh, some sort of chemical event that happened around your area or chemicals that were made around your area, right? There's so, I mean, I could go on and on about ways to help protect yourself, but I don't want to overwhelm you. I just want to give you the power, the information, and I want to help you make better choices. So hopefully this has helped you. Hopefully you've seen how important this is, both for yourself as a woman also for your, if you're raising kids in puberty, if you're pregnant, and even for men. I mean, I could continue on, but there's like tons of studies about sperm and sperm counts in even younger boys, in puberty boys, and how that is like literally cut in half nowadays from what it used to be and how they're thinking endocrine disruptors. I mean, there's really, really, it's getting away with us. And so um, trying to do what you can for your own personal health and then hopefully as a society will come together and demand that this isn't going to work for us anymore, that we're not going to be experimented on and that we're not going to mess our earth up and our, the United States up. Um, and we're going to demand less chemicals in our world. So if you have any questions, as always, you can reach out to me at thelifecyclelady.com and contact me for any extra questions, any extra help, help or um, anything like that. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I will see you next week. Bye.